The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and welcome to the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is parent, author, and autism advocate, Carrie Cariello, author of What Color is Monday? How Autism Changed One Family for the Better. Welcome to the show, Carrie. Nice to have you on this morning. Thank you. Same here. Well, your book apparently is, um, we're getting the opportunity through your book of seeing how and what it's like to raise a child, a child who has been diagnosed with on the autism spectrum, Mm -hmm. and who views the world through a different lens and how ultimately the autism has changed your family for the better. Okay. Mm. But given that, uh, I guess my first question is, you started out, as I understand it, you had one purpose for writing the book to give us this understanding of what it's like to raise a child who has autism or who has been diagnosed, um, but the, the purpose of the book changed as, as, as it went along. So can we start off, you know, why you wrote the book and why the purpose of writing the book changed as it evolved? Sure. Well, I had always journaled a little bit. I had always done some sort of writing in terms of the family and Jack, and um, it started out as letters I write to my kids every year on their birthday um, as a way to kind of explain where they are at that point in time and what they like and don't like, and and then I, I journaled quite a bit about Jack in terms of the diagnosis and what his progress looked like and what we were facing, and um, and in the beginning, I thought, oh, you know, I met with a smaller publisher here in, in my town, and he said, you know, I really think we could sort of arc these together into almost a memoir. And I thought, oh, what a great way to kind of keep our memories intact, you know, and sort of keep as a keepsake almost for the kids. And I thought that was was great. And um, so I started the project. And then probably about a quarter of the way through the book, we had this really beautiful experience with a um, a dog about an hour from here, a dog in a hotel lobby where a man, um, a stranger, encouraged Jack, who was phobic of dogs at the time, to come close enough to touch his dog. And uh, and at that point, I thought, wow, what a great way to kind of celebrate the people who are who have touched their lives, whether they are, they know it or not, in a way um, that really promotes progress and change and and acceptance and all of that good stuff. So it kind of then took that perspective and and changed a little bit for me. So you wanted to, here's Jack. Jack has autism, but the book simply isn't about autism. It's about autism, but you put a face on autism with Jack and and putting him out there. But the story about the dog is, as I understood it in reading, about you was that Jack was terrified of dogs and that was going to be an issue. And this yeah, man, terrified. yeah, and he was afraid and wanted not didn't want the dog in his presence. So right, and, we had yeah. walked into this hotel and he started to do his Jack flip out, which is 
yeah. <laughs> something I'm very used to. And the man, who we didn't know at all, um, just sat on the floor next to his dog and kept kept really quietly calling out to Jack, you know, come closer, closer, we're waiting for you. And eventually Jack circled closer and he pet the man's hair and then he, he pet the dog. So it was a tremendous breakthrough. And that was a, three or four years ago. And it didn't solve the dog issue completely. He still was terrified. And if we went to anyone's house, you know, for a, um, a holiday or a meal and they had a dog, it really became a big thing. So the dog issue wasn't quote unquote solved, if you will, until about a year ago when we got our own puppy. So I'm trying to keep quiet right now. Yeah. So <laughs> He's Good very luck. spoiled. Yeah. The minute I pick up the phone, I have to give him a bunch of treats. Well, kids and dogs, <laughs> you group them together sometimes. Yeah, they um, learn quickly. Yeah, exactly. But okay, you have a big family. Seven people in the family, five kids. Jack was diagnosed what at age two, and how he was old about was eighteen months when 18 we got months? the official diagnosis. Yeah. So what was that like? Here you are, and he was what in terms of the birth order? So he's our second oldest. We have four boys and one girl, and um, he's our second oldest. It's, you know, it really was not as. Um, earth-shattering as a lot of people expect, and, and I'm sure a lot of people, other people experience, because we just knew all along that this is where we were headed. We, he'd already been in testing for quite a few months, and um, we, we were just kind of holding our breath and waiting for the diagnosis. Not when that did you it first wasn't... notice it because you were an experienced parent? I mean, it's different than if it's your first child, for instance, but not for you. This is your fourth, right? So like, He was my what... second, actually. Oh, but oh my he's your first... second because he's the second oldest, right? But yeah. you had one other child. I had one other son at the time. Uh, actually, the day Jack was diagnosed, I had three kids at that point. And then the next day I went home and found out I was pregnant with our fourth. So our kids came pretty quickly. And it's funny because I did have a son a year older, just about exactly a year older. And, and um, I wasn't super experienced as a mother, but I, it was really great to be able to say, okay, well, around, you know, Easter time, Joey last year was playing peekaboo. Jack should really be doing this. Like, there were just certain social milestones that Jack never reached, never had that engaged, connected play, um, never pointed, not a lot of talking, not, no talking at all, no sounds really at all, except for screaming. So uh, it was helpful to have a child f- before him, for sure. Well, all right. So, you, I mean, you're recognizing these signs, these social mm-hmm. or lack of social interaction signs. So, Kara, I mean, could you take the babies for um, their well baby checkups um, and you're with the pediatrician and does he or she um, ask, you know, remark on his behavior or, you know, you're talking about it right from the beginning or, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I was around six or seven months was when I started saying, like, I, I remember always going and saying, is this normal? Is this normal? And they were really, um, they were, you know, at first just like, well, everybody, you know, develops differently. And I think that's absolutely true. It was kind of, let's wait and see. He is so young. And, but I just always had this nagging pit. And around a year, maybe a little over a year, I remember he could not manage solid foods. Like he could not, the simplest tongue thrust to to get the solid food down his throat was just so difficult for him. And that was when um, the pediatrician, it was a woman, and she said, I just, I think it's time for some early intervention. And I walked out of that office feeling like, as light as a bird, like, okay, we're going to have somebody else 
to help me with this because I was floundering by that point. The ambivalence, not knowing, but you did know, but you didn't know what it was. Right. Yeah. And I really feel for parents that are in that no man's land because it's, I was grateful for the diagnosis, as grateful as anybody ever is for a diagnosis, because it's like, okay, this is why he will only play with vacuums. This is why we had a purpose now and something to work with. So what would you recommend to other parents? Like if you're going to be helpful to other parents, like your experience with with Jack in the beginning, Mm -hmm. um, so that you don't have to kind of go through that 18 months or a year the way with that pit in your stomach the way you were feeling till finally wow some you know somebody a professional you know is able to put a face on it right it is hard because i think um rightfully so that professionals are a little reluctant to rush in with a diagnosis i i've heard you know much before too because that is such a tender developmental period and it really can go either way. You know, there's there's plenty of kids. Everybody has a story like, well, my brother didn't talk till he was four because he just didn't feel like it, and it wasn't necessarily autism. So, but I will say, don't ignore that pit in your stomach. I've also heard a lot of parents say, well, yeah, we just thought that they would grow out of this or this was going to resolve on its own. So I would always advise people to be the advocate for their kids because, in the long run, early intervention is the is the key to early progress, and I don't know where Jack would be right now without it. Uh, all right, let's be specific about early intervention. What is it? Well, first I just want to just reiterate what you said in terms of maybe particularly or especially with mothers, just go with your gut. You really do go have with to listen. Gut, yeah. yeah. Um, it's never it's never failed me even with my typical kids. My gut reactions to just sort of other things in our lives have has always steered me. So now we're at the point where you are going to have early intervention. What is early intervention for an 18 for a year old or an 18 month old who's been diagnosed on the autism spectrum? I mean, it really varies according to the severity of the diagnosis and the kiddo. But for us, we were living in Buffalo, New York at the time. We had a speech pathologist come to the house twice a week. We also had a special ed, a special education specialist coming to the house once a week. And then when he was about two and a half, he started in an integrated preschool. And uh, he would go four mornings a week, and it was a, a preschool that had, you know, was sort of equipped for special needs and, and to encourage speech and things like that. So it was pretty, I mean, for somebody so young, it was pretty intense. It sounds intense. Is it also costly? I mean, are those things covered by any uh, health insurance, for instance, or... So the preschool, now we're going back like, you know, nine years, but the preschool was covered. Um, The speech we paid for out of pocket as well as the special ed. Um, You know, it it was an expense for sure, but it it seemed reasonable at the time. How did did the other children, because you really have your children very close together in age, Mm -hmm. and as a mother of three boys, you're very brave to go on and have another child. <laughs> well, brave or um, not careful is probably the word I would <laughs> Well, whichever it was, you've got a yeah. great big family and you're all together and it sounds like you're really very supportive of one another. How do you do that? And, and also we want to hear kind of the struggles too because, you know, we, I mean, obviously you're making it work, all of you. Um, how do you make it work? And then what are some of the really difficult obstacles? 
The toughest, well, you know, it's day by day in terms of what's tough and what's not. And uh, they do all get along really well. They really respect Jack's um, uh, limitations is not a great word, but his autism. But they also work very hard to keep him connected with them, which is really fascinating to watch. Right now they are 12. He's about to be 11. I have a nine-year-old son. My daughter is seven. And then I have a six-year-old son. And they all engage with him in a very different way. Um, you know, as always with any big family, whether you have special needs or not, I think the, um, the, the constant battle is to make sure everybody's needs and wants are met. You know, and I, I was just telling the story the other day how my six-year-old turned, his birthday was in January when he turned six, and he wanted to go to one of those Japanese places where they cook hibachi, like on the table right in front of you, you know. I, I and do he, know. <laughs> Jack hates those places. I mean, it's too loud for him. They're throwing food. It's a night. It's literally a nightmare for him. Um, but it was Henry's birthday, and he deserved to have the meal where he wanted, and he wanted everybody together. So it's kind of in those moments, like how how are we going to navigate this? And we, my husband and I, always seem to come up with a solution so far that works. You know, we let Jack bring headphones in. We would never let him bring headphones into our restaurant, but. He was allowed to listen to music while the commotion was kind of going on around him. So it's sort of stuff like that every day. I mean, homework is a creative, term- it sounds like. You can't be rigid. Yes. I mean, you two, you're talking about you and your husband. You come up with a solution. Headphones, maybe you wouldn't have let one of the other kids do it, but in this case it distracts Jack. Right. What, what about um, – do you ever do things that, because, I, I mean, sibling rivalry is always there, um, mm. kids vying for attention. I mean, do you ever, like, take the other kids to do things that they can handle that he can't and leave him out and have him do something else with someone else, or is that not something you do? We really don't. You know, we are intentional about taking them each out individually on their own. For a while we were doing this um you know, whenever the the day of their birthday per month, so for example, my 12-year-old's birthday is March 22nd, so the 22nd of each month, try to do something a little bit with just him, you know, whether it's he goes out to dinner with his father, or maybe he and I just take a long walk with the dog, um, we try to do that rotation. Um, you know, we probably would be open to saying, okay, Jack doesn't love Jack loves movies, but he doesn't love a particular movie theater uh, because he says the screen is bigger and it's too loud. So, too much stimulation? Too much. But this other movie theater he loves, he says the screen is smaller. But they they do not like to do things unless they're all together, you know, unless it's all five of them. That would stress Jack out, and that would stress the rest of them out. So up to this point, we've been able to kind of negotiate the activities. I will say about a year ago, my husband got tickets for this like truck, monster truck mash uh, thing, you know, and Jack was like, hell no, I am not (laughs) going to that. And I said, you know what? That doesn't appeal to me either. So my husband took a couple of the boys and then I stayed home with with my daughter and with Jack. So we sort of pick carefully in, in terms of what everybody wants to do. What about uh, that? Was my reaction? I wouldn't. I, I agree with Jack oh, and you. I would have stayed home. Horrible, <laughs> there would be horrible. no. Anyway, <laughs> no. but um, yeah. So, uh, 
what about bullying? Do the other kids, you know, I hear, I have a lot of people on the show, and obviously you read a lot about it, but Carrie, like, at school, are any of the kids, do they bully either Jack or his siblings because of his behavior, or is that an issue, or has that been an issue at all? So far, I mean, knock on wood, we've been so lucky. We live in a great community. I think I, I blog once a week. Every Monday I write a new blog. And, um, and you blog around... for the Huffington Post, right? Yes. I mean, I, I was have been in the Huffington Post and today.com and parents.com. And um, I wrote one blog piece about two months ago that went just went crazy. It's called I Know What Causes Autism. And I actually, in that sort of... Um, highlight a great experience Jack had with a little girl in his class. Um, I think because everybody knows us so well and they know our family that we really haven't come into that. We had a little bit, one time we went to this like laser tag place and I wasn't in the area where the kids were getting ready for the laser tag because kind of like truck mashes, I don't really do laser tag either, but Jack wanted to do it. But Charlie said one of the other kids, was like, what's wrong with you? You know, because Jack wasn't responding to his questions or whatever. And Charlie interfaced and said, he has autism and you have to speak more slowly to him. So they do step in, I think, if they, if they feel like the other party doesn't realize what's going on with Jack. Um, but in terms of the school, you know, we've, we've had nothing but great experiences. We're, we're lucky. Well, that's good to hear, and also, I mean, the example you just gave of your other son, I mean, that's a, that's a great story. But you also, I mean, there's strength in numbers. You have a whole, you have, you know, I mean, you have, what, seven of you. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, which And a fierce I, little puppy who weighs 20 pounds, and he is yeah. not going to put up with anything, so. <laughs> what about you? I mean, in terms of stress and exhaustion, and mm. I think, you know, you know, it sounds, I mean, it really sounds like you handle everything beautifully, the whole family, you and your husband. But there have to be some days, I would imagine, where you'd feel, how can I do all this? I mean, yeah. just, you know, in terms of just going about the activities of daily living, um, how do you do it? Well, there are those, some days are more tedious than others. This is the first year all five kids have been in school full day. So I have every day until about 2.20 to kind of get my act together. So I have more time on my hands, I think, than people realize. Um, but then come 2.20, like 2.20 to 8 o'clock at night, it's pretty nonstop for us. Um, my husband and I are really intentional about going out once a week. We have gone out every Saturday night since my oldest was about six months old. So, you know, almost 12 years now. And we are religious about that. And, you know, even just last night, um, I don't know, I was sort of in a funky mood and, and, and the idea of bed and bath time routine seemed really overwhelming. So we're really lucky. We called up a sitter who lives in the area. She popped over and Joe and I just went out for a quick, you know, bite to eat for an hour. So I'm really intentional about understanding my own needs, which um, is selfish in a, in a lot of mothers um, are, are selfless. Uh, but I know if I don't, sort of take care of myself, then I, I will burn out with them. Yeah. See, I think that's so important to emphasize. I mean, did you call yourself selfish? or selfish? Well, in a good way. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I wouldn't use the word selfish. I think, I mean, it's, it's, some, it's quite the opposite of that. You know, like right. you have to take, as you say, take care of you. can't take care of your family if you don't take care of yourself. Well, and, I could take care of them. I mean, I could go through the motions of preparing dinner, but I wouldn't take care of them happily. That's the difference. I mean, anybody can 
throw a meatloaf in the oven. But if I'm sort of sniping at them and every everything they do is under my skin, and you know, angry. it's not fair. Yeah, I, yeah. resentful. Um, the other piece, aside from like date night, is I am, you wouldn't know it to look at me, but I exercise nearly every day. <laughs> and that's really important to me. And I go at about, uh, there's, I do CrossFit. And there's a class every morning at 6.30, which means my husband puts the first round of kids on the bus, and then I come home. We have two different bus times. So, uh, you know, he's really great about helping me make things like that work. Now, what you mentioned, you, you know, you have your date night, Saturday night, um, besides exercise and everything. But, Carrie, what about, okay, one babysitter? I mean, can one babysitter take care of five kids, or do you need two babysitters? No, they're all, they, we've always had one, but they're not, um, you know, we, don't, we couldn't use somebody who was 14 or 15. Um, for the longest time, we had somebody who was almost 30. And now the girls we have are, you know, they're like 18 to 20 years old, typically. But... Uh, yeah, it's not really too much of a problem. I, I sort of set everything up so it's easy for her. Um, and we did have a guy for a, for a little bit, which was a lot of fun, so him or her. But the kids, you know what, I think it's because we've always had this routine. They're used to being with somebody else. So they know the deal. They know what's expected of them, and they know they better behave. And so they kind of are on their little schedule. Yeah. So. Yeah, so that's their routine. It's the family's routine. Right. Uh, what about, I mean, I know you've said this, um, and, uh, you know, I've heard you say this on other sh- shows, but what about the future? I mean, you know, Jack, now the kids are young, and and when kids are young, um, they're under your control, as you say, right. and know what's expected of them, but then they start to get into middle school and high school. Oh. And in particularly in Jack's case, what are some of the worries or concerns that you have for him? Well, it's funny. He's in fifth grade now, which is like our intermediate school, kind of a step right before middle school. And I see already the things I, every day I have to, there's something new I have to keep my eyes open for. So he's in gym class now and they change in gym. And he insisted he was going to pack all of his own clothes. He's very independent. And so a couple of days later, he, he did pack his clothes. And then a couple of days later, he said to me, I guess you don't change your underwear for gym class. So he didn't realize that and had brought his underwear. And um, there's just these social cues um, that he will always miss out on. And that worries me quite a bit. Um, Academically, it's going to be harder and harder to keep him up to academic standards. Uh, But he is, he has these goals for himself that I don't know how attainable they are. I would never hold him back, but I also have to be realistic as a mother. You know, he desperately wants to go away to college, and he wants to be a baker. <laughs> Two mm-hmm. things that I don't know if he will be able to accomplish that, but it's, it's difficult when you have a child that wants so much for himself but lacks a lot of the tools to make it happen. So you just kind of have to, I guess, uh, what I hear you saying, you just have to, it evolves. You'll see how it evolves. Yes. Patience is really, it's not my best quality, but it's the one I rely on the most. Now, when they talk about the autism spectrum, and I know they've just changed that recently, what is that and what does that mean? Where does Jack fit in terms of that? Because, like, you have concerns whether he can go to college and become a baker and do what he wants to do. Is that, is he low on the autism spectrum, and what does that mean, or high? I think people classify him uh, as high-functioning. He's in a mainstream classroom. He does have a one-on-one paraprofessional. His 
primary obstacles are regulation, so keeping his body still. He stims a lot, like a lot. Anxiety is a huge um, challenge for him. He struggles with tremendous crushing anxiety, which can really interfere with day-to-day life and any kind of progress. Um, he's also has executive functioning issues, meaning cognitive flexibility, rigidity, the ability to see that other people have thoughts and ideas that are different than his own. Um, and he's also in terms of maturity. So he's going to be 12. I would put him around seven years old in terms of maturity, emotional maturity. So, um, you know, he has all kind of these balls in the air and it's, just kind of figuring out which one we want to work on at any given time. What about medication? How, does that fit into the picture or not? We did, yes, it does fit into our picture um, reluctantly. In, in first grade, he was just crushed by anxiety. Like It was like one day he was one child and the next day he was a completely different child. I'd never seen anything like it. So we went. We we tried a bunch of different things, and nothing abated this anxiety. So we wound up turning to medication. And it's funny you say that because last summer, for whatever reason, and I wish I could say it was more intentional, but it wasn't. We kind of just weaned him off of it. He seemed okay. We didn't we didn't keep up on it, and then we just met with a psychologist last week to to do some more testing. And she said she hadn't seen him in a while, and she said his anxiety is through the roof. And I was like, wow, I got used to it, you know, and, and, and it is through the roof. And I, when she said that, I took a different look at him, and I was like, oh, he's, he's right back where he was. But the process this time was so slow that it, I was almost unaware of it. So, um, so I, I, we are probably yeah. – what's that? No, I was going to say I, I, that's understandable. I'm glad you brought that up because it's insidious, I guess, is what you're saying. Oh, that's a great word, and yeah. I'm blogging about it right now. I may use that word insidious. Yeah. I liken it to this snake, and sometimes the snake goes dormant, and you don't see him for a while, and then he just sort of like slithers out every now and again. And um, so we are going to turn back to medication again, and that's hard for us. We're not. I never thought of myself as a family that would run to medication, but. Um, when you see the difference it makes in him, to deny him that would be would be mean. Mm-hmm. But you're you not know. running to medication. No, you, you're no. just using that as part of the a, a slice of the pie, I guess you would say. I mean, that's something right. that you, yeah. But uh, it's not like so. I don't see that as. It's not our. It was never our first choice. Um, it was painful for us. But someone once gave me the advice, and it's so true. If it's going to work, it's going to work. And boy, within like a week, he was he was a different kid again, back to his other self. So, I I think medication has its place for sure. So, I what color is Monday? How autism changed one family for the better. We can buy the book online, bookstores mm-hmm. everywhere. And also just give us a little more information because you are blogging for the Huffington Post. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, because I'm sure a lot of people now would like to keep up with your blog. So, mm, well, uh, <laughs> my blog, you can find it at whatcolorismonday.com. I also just came out with a second book, which is a collection of, I've been blogging for about three years now. So it's a collection from like the first two years of blogs with, with about 30% new material added in. And that's called Someone I'm With Has Autism. You're an amazing woman. <laughs> you're oh, you're generous. Thank you. Really not. And doing <laughs> interviews and raising five kids and, oh. uh, 
And you're still married. I'm still married. <laughs> That's day-to-day. No, I'm just kidding. No, Joe and I have a great time. <laughs> I tell well, him all the time my next book's going to be about marriage, and he pales a little bit, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, you should write about him. I think he deserves it, too. Oh, I mean... he's a great person. Well, I do blog quite a bit about marriage, which is interesting because Joe's a dentist, and all, a lot of his patients and his, his staff read it, and so they'll say, oh, we heard you had a big fight over the weekend. So... <laughs> Nothing's private. Well, not much, but, you know, it's relatable, and I think people like seeing, wow, their marriage is hard, too. They disagree in the heat of the moment, too, and, you know, people deserve that. You know what? It's putting a face on it, putting a face on the marriage, and that helps, too. Well, thanks so much for being on the show this morning. It really has been great talking to you. And uh, Carrie Cariello, and I'm going to mention the book again, What Color is Monday? How Autism Changed One Family for the Better. Have a great day. Thank you. You, too. Thanks. Uh, We're going to take a short break. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in Tuesdays and join the credit master and consumer advocate, Mr. D, a.k.a. Bruce J. Danielson, and learn the whole truth about credit risk scoring, collectors, both kinds, credit bureaus, credit cards, tax liens, mortgages, and much more. Find out how to use accountability combat to protect yourself from becoming a victim and to fight back against corporate abusers, such as banksters who have taken unfair advantage of most of us. The Consumer Fightback Show educates consumers on how to find relief within today's onerous credit system. See you Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. We're going to be talking about uh, millennial parenting today. Co-director, writer, and filmmaker Jake Green, Millennial Parents, which is a web series about the new generation of domestication. This is Jake's new web series. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to talk about this. Great to talk about it. I, you know, I've watched your web series. I didn't watch all the, uh, what is it, season two? I've watched, I think, season one. Great. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I really liked it. And uh, it, it's two minutes long, which is my 
you know, attention span. So every Tuesdays, I think, um, great web series all about parenting, millennials. But, Jake, my question is, um, and I'm probably your parents' age in terms of the baby boomers' parenting, why, are, why is millennial parenting different than other generations? There's, there's a number of reasons, and I'm, I'm really glad off the – off the jump that you brought up to two-minute episodes, because what we wanted to do was sort of recreate the digestibility of the um, the old uh, newspaper Sunday comics, the idea that you can just sit down, find something that you relate to, something that makes you laugh, and share it with someone if you want, and get back to your day, or uh, deep dive into the other 25 episodes that we have. But there are a few things that make millennial parents different. And in fact, the, our show really focuses on the identity crisis that is hitting uh, a lot of millennials who are starting to have kids in sort of a funny way. And what one of the big problems is the millennial generation has sort of been, um, they're so, sort of known for being a generation that, that really, uh, really relishes unique identity. The idea that I can be cool in my own particular way and nobody else is like me and I live in this world that has been customized and curated through technology um, that allows me to sort of be the center of my own mogul universe. And that's just impossible to continue when you have kids. Um, another thing that sort of makes the, the problem uh, even more awkward, which is where we derive a lot of our humor, is the fact that there are, there's so much access and so many touch points, uh, so many opportunities for commenting and judgment on uh, on someone's life or someone's family, or uh, you know the ability to disprove the narrative that people are trying to put out on social media. So if you think about when when my parents had kids in the '80s, um, they would say, "All right, kids, be on your best behavior. We're going to this party." And the reason was when we went to that party, people were going to look at us, and as long as we didn't break anything or give anyone a bloody nose, they would say, "Oh, there's a nice family." And then my parents would be off the hook for the next couple of months. But now with social media and you have people posting all the time and commenting and posting pictures of each other's families and they're, it's almost like everyone's trying to curate these perfect family brands that are constantly under attack. And when you throw in the fact that in a marriage, people don't always see um, the family brand as, as the same way, you, it just really is fodder for some great, funny comedic conversations. And so that's really the root of, of where millennialparents.com came from. And each one of our episodes focuses on a, a, given, uh, a given identity crisis and the joke built out from there. So we, yeah, it, we didn't... It does. Yeah. And after seeing the episodes and... Mo, I mean, I could, I could I, as a uh, baby boomer, I keep saying baby boomer parent, but this, the issues are the same. Now you're saying... Yeah. The issues are exactly the same, but you're saying that the way the parents, millennial parents, and by the way, what age group is that? I mean, it's Gen X and millennials, but what age are we talking? What's the uh, age group? Really, it's really 35 and under. 35 and under. Okay, that's the millennials. So you say you're being judged because you've got all these pictures, like you can't, you want to be the perfect family, but you're out there on social media and people judge you. Um, well, you judge you. That's the bigger thing. Is is this is a this is a self-inflicted identity crisis. So we all have. If you think about what we do on Facebook and Twitter, everyone. If you look, everyone on Facebook has a perfect life. 
right? They, yeah. Because what you're doing is you're putting out this, you're putting out this narrative of how you want the world to see you. And it's just when other people within and outside of your family start to have opinions about that, especially when they have vested interests first when you get married and then when you have kids, um, it's just impossible to maintain that sort of selfish narrative that, uh, you know, that selfish identity, the, the James or Jane Bond that you want to be perceived. And so I think the issues, part of the fun of the show is that the issues are definitely largely the same as parenting issues in the past, but, but the way the problems are dealt with and the way that they're sort of exaggerated and elevated is different. You know, the idea that there are a lot of people out there um, who care less about having a good time than they do about having pictures that suggest they had a great time, right? So you have yeah. people that take family outings specifically for the pictures so that they can get likes and comments on their Facebook pages. And that, I say don't is, look at the pictures. I mean, I don't look at Facebook sometimes because it makes me feel bad for all the reasons that you're talking about. You know, right. the great family vacations everybody had, and you just had this, like, really sucky vacation, and so you really don't want to see somebody else's. So I don't – yeah. Right, but the thing is, they had the same sucky vacation that you did. Like, yeah. I saw this winter, I live in Los Angeles, I saw people posting these just idyllic pictures where everybody is smiling and perfectly posed from Disneyland, and I know it was raining, and I know there was a measles outbreak. And yet, every people are representing that they're in Shangri-La. It's just, it creates all of this confusion. And then, you know, the other big difference is that I don't know uh, how it was for you when you had your kids, but for my parents, they, they sort of checked out of pop culture in the 80s and 90s. Like, I don't think they went to see a movie. They weren't expected to stay connected. They were sort of, it was like, you've become a parent now. Your job is to focus on being a good parent. You know, you can pick a couple of things that you stay in touch with, but we don't expect you to stay up to date on the Billboard Top 200. Whereas... Um, millennials want to be as cool as they were before they had kids. And what you end up with is there's sort of a, a fine line between cool older brother and creepy uncle, and people are crossing it unknowingly at an alarming rate, which makes for some great, uh, great, great comedy. True. Uh, but I'm thinking about that in terms of I wanted to be cool. I, I wasn't, but I thought I, I really wanted to be, but it was more difficult to do that because it seems to me that the millennials, this is kind of the – positive side of it, the millennials have the ability, let's say, you know, you've got all the same kinds of problems. You know, you don't sleep all night, and the kids don't yeah. eat, and the boys are running out in the street, and all that kind of stuff, right? And you can't take them to a restaurant, and you want to go to the restaurant, but you can't go. But at the same time, you can get online, and you can get support also, because you can get in a chat room, and you can find out. Right. And, and there isn't this expectation Necessary. See, I that everything is wonderful because the books that we had to read were like these books about being the best and the greatest parent. Now you can go on and look at your series, and you can look at other things that like really, you know, are kind of cutting edge, kind of funny, kind of stuff that say, you know, nobody's the perfect parent. So that, in a way, is is makes it easier. I think that's that's certainly a hope from our perspective creating the show. But what's interesting is all of that information and access is sort of a double-edged sword, right? Because on one hand, you have the ability to have access to this information. You know, your kid gets pink eye and you can look up and see what drops to give them. On the other hand, there's sort of this, um, 
this pressure uh, to be an expert and to find the right information quickly. And people, uh, you know, people really struggle with the the idea that wait, all of this information is there. Why am I still so stressed out? I should have this all together. And so certainly one of the one of the driving forces behind MillennialParents.com was was giving people the opportunity to laugh at the commonality and and feel a little more normal that they're in the uh, the middle of a tornado. Also, it's like the um, your your series is kind of like the Amy Schumer of parenting. I love it. Yeah, I think I think she's uh, she's really sort of hit on a pretty funny touchstone for sort of single life. And uh, yeah, we're our our idea our thought is, you know, there are um, we view ourselves as sort of a two minute sitcom. We want to be one of those uh, relatable family shows where people. The biggest compliment that we get from people who watch Millennial Parents is that they when they pass the links around with a message that's just, this character is just like you to one of their friends, and that's really that's really the hope because we're not trying uh, a lot of comedy that's written these days, it's about trying to do the zaniest, weirdest, craziest thing. And what we're, what we really tried to do and what our, our actors, Lee Coco and Laura Eichhorn were really good at was, was dialing into this sort of conversational, uh, genuine awkwardness and urgency around these sort of everyday issues that, that make us, uh, make us so crazy that we care so deeply about for better or worse. Uh, two minutes of therapy, I would call it. You can <laughs> pick your problem, you know, just hit on the, the show that, that relates to that one, and it makes you feel good. You know, I'm not a, a crazy mom or, or mother or dad. Okay, so for you, what were – I want to just get a, a little more in terms of, like, you personally. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the most difficult part of parenting for you? I mean, you have the two boys. I don't know if we mentioned that at the beginning of the show, what, under the yeah. age of three. Um, and because I assume some of these the, the vignettes or the episodes come from your own experiences, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, there's a lot of the material has, is uh, inspired by my life as a, a parent, and and the characters then just take the problems a step further. There are a few instances in which uh, they're almost word for word taken from my life, but I think for me the hardest thing is. Uh, it's, it's the balance of it. You know, you, you just don't, I was talking to a friend of mine who, uh, who doesn't have kids, you know, who asked that question. I've, people always ask, well, what's it like to have kids? And I go out of my way to avoid being the person who, who's sort of a, you know, a know-it-all or, 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 you know, I've tried to focus in my own experience and the way, the way I feel sometimes with, with little kids is in the morning, it's it's almost like you live on a farm because you wake up and you every morning you're going to have a couple hours of things that you have to get done and take care of and watch over uh, before you get to go to work. And so when you're talking about, you know, people think about sort of the work-life balance question, but it's it's work is almost like the second set of responsibilities that you have through the day. And so finding uh, you know, finding a rhythm and, so that you're you're not exhausted throughout the entire day is really sort of a tough thing. Now, luckily, um, I love my family a lot, so I'm I'm excited to do it, and I'm sort of appreciating the time. But I do a lot of 
uh, I do a lot of silly things and, uh, that, you know, I try to capture and laugh at, uh, retroactively, but, um, yeah, I think that's the, it's just sort of the general rhythm and schedules of it. Um, and, and trying to maintain sort of, uh, trying to maintain a balance and sort of be as present as I can with my family when I'm with them. Uh, will you say creating a balance and a rhythm? I, that's probably one of the most, if you ever actually do that, because you create that balance and then it changes. And then suddenly they're two and five and then everything, the balance and the rhythm is totally different. And you mentioned <laughs> the word exhaustion because I think exhaustion is until you know, I remember asking my mother, when am I not going to be exhausted? She said, oh, by the time the boys are seven, then you'll be okay. And I'm thinking, I can't do this. <laughs> but uh, you uh, you do do and it. You had, and you had one more than I have. Yeah. Um, I, yeah I, 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 one, one thing you about saying? your generation that I noticed, and, and I'm in New York City, but, you know, a lot of the millennials try, I noticed, to do things with their kids that they did. Maybe this touches on what you do in this series, but try to, instead of kind of adapting their lifestyle, they try to adapt the kids to the lifestyle that they had before. Uh, for instance, bringing yeah. them into restaurants that they, yeah. that the kids start screaming. It's not the kid's fault. It's the parent's fault because the kid can't <laughs> handle that. But they're trying to go to the same restaurant they went to or the same movie or the same ballet or whatever it is. Uh, yeah. That's exactly that's exactly what I was talking about. Where people have decided that they're going to be just as cool as they were before they had kids. Like, you know, sort of it's it's uh, it's sort of masked in this uh, in this delusion that you're going to be as independent and as as sort of funky as you were before you became a parent. And people don't realize how ridiculous they look, right? Like. Yeah. There's a reason that bars don't allow your baby into the bar. It's because that's not an appropriate place for you to bring a baby. And it's, I see it, I see it all the time in Los Angeles. And before I lived in LA, I lived in Nashville, Tennessee. And, you know, I saw it there too. So this isn't, it's not just coastal hipsters that are doing it. I mean, there are the, what gets me the most though. I mean, even more than, than that is the people who start, um, launching Twitter and Facebook accounts for their babies before their babies are able to populate the, uh, their own tweets or, or status updates. That's what, that's what crushes me. I just, I have very little, I have very little tolerance for that. And I have very little tolerance for people who make videos that are supposedly about their kids, but are really just sort of showcasing their own commentary. Um, and, and what about when, this? When case? Well, I've had, uh, cause I, you know, the, the when you bring that up, one of the things that I have difficulty with, and I'll, I'll get pictures of pictures of even like the birth of the babies and in the hospital, <laughs> and here's this little kid like he's he hasn't given permission for his you know stuff to go viral, and, and it's and every you know when they're changing the diet, whatever they're doing, and like first who wants to see it, but even if you do like. I kind of feel bad for the kid because oh, this is out there forever and always, and they haven't. We, yeah, yeah. We did an episode about that. We did an episode about that where uh, Kurt, who is our uh, the name of our dad in the show, is very anti naked pictures. And the idea is someday that kid's going to be in middle school, you know. And, and think about when you were in seventh, eighth grade. Like the last thing you would have wanted is your classmates to have access 
to uh, naked pictures of you, regardless of the age. And, you know, what's interesting is the guy he's talking to in that conversation is uh, saying that he's posting the pictures because bathtub pictures get a ton of likes and he has to show the world he's a better parent than his ex-wife. So it's just sort of, but the reasoning that people do this, they just, it's this sort of keeping up with the Joneses. Uh, I want to be one step more authentic or, or whatever it is. Again, I think it, it gets back. It's not about the kid. It's about them trying to feel a certain way. Either, you know, I'm the most natural parent and I embrace the human body or I'm the, you know, I'm the coolest parent. That's why I'm, you know, going to show my baby holding an e-cigarette or whatever. I mean, it's just ridiculous stuff. Well, I think, and this was also in one of your series, I think you had one of the, you were at the, the couple um, in the series had a, a friend over for lunch or whatever, and she's talking about the right way to parent everybody, you know, and making yeah. the, yeah, this is the only way to do it. This is the way that you do do it, and then you're going to have this great kid, which is definitely something that is not true. <laughs> because yeah. Life, yeah. No, the conversation there, it's like, it, it's just like people who, who think they're going to beat Vegas with sort of a weird system for blackjack or for throwing dice or whatever. Like the fact is you can, you can make a little bit, you can do your best to sort of steer the ship, but you're not going to change the fundamental nature of how that ship is constructed. The, the idea that you as the parent, um, that it's, you know, it's, it's all nurture, no nature is, is sort of a, a crazy thing. But people, what they do is because they're insecure about the way that they're parenting themselves, they take on this, uh, this perspective that they have to just totally buy into every decision they make and defend it to the death, which is why as you get into like the preschool phase, especially in cities where people are paying a lot of money to go to preschool, uh, everyone will tell you unequivocally that their preschool is the best because if they admit that it might not be the best, then what does that say about them as a parent? Does that mean they're not perfect? And it's sort of, again, we get right back to the root of the problem, which is everybody trying to maintain this illusion to the outside world that they've just got it all together. Or maybe it's just this kind of narcissism that pervades our culture, you know, Absolutely. And narcissistic, I think, again, yeah, the narcissistic parents. But that whole thing about being the best, and I think that that, it, maybe it's more obvious now, but definitely obvious in the my generation. I mean, it, the issue was always, I put my kids to bed at 7, they wake up at 7, they don't, they, they sleep through the night, and you know, my kids never slept through the night. I saw no reason to get them up at 7. We had no place to go. We might as well just stay in bed as long as we can, if they will. I mean, it was kind of all that ridiculous, like, I, scheduling like a for what you know for no reason like so well, uh, let me yeah. tell you something I just heard I just heard a champagne problem in there the idea that you have to think about whether or not to wake your kid up at seven that sounds that sounds like a Hawaiian vacation to me yeah. right now I've got <laughs> I've got two kids that are you know whose eyes pop open frequently before there's a six on the clock but no it's it's exactly. That I, we were talking about sort of the consistency generation to generation. I think there are sort of some universal issues that um, that have sort of permeated parenting throughout the generations, and, and the idea that you want to be the best, and, you, and more importantly, that you want people to see you as the best, um, 
is, is certainly something that is timeless. Uh, we just now have more opportunities to be uh, to sort of put our narcissism on display. Yeah, so more exposure. All these, yeah. th- there's just a lot more exposure. I mean, one, another, I don't know if you've had this on the series, but maybe you haven't, I haven't seen it, but, you know, the family bed situation. I mean, I always was so exhausted. I let the kids come to, into bed. I just, you know, and they told you you shouldn't do that, and horrible things uh-huh. would happen. Nothing happened that was horrible. Um, other and other parents, absolutely, you can't be in bed with the parents, you know. And I don't think one family or the other turned out, or the kids turned out, any better or worse for it. But every that was like a huge issue. I don't. Is that a huge? Is that I don't know if that's an issue with the millennials. It's well, I mean, it's the issue is that everybody makes these choices that then they defend as the most healthiest, loving, nurture, you know, warmest, most nurturing choice, and so. That's an example of something where um, if we put it in the show, it would be, uh, you know, they'd be talking about it at a dinner party, and, and it would be one of the conversations that Kirk tried to blacklist, along with whether or not circumcision was a good thing, um, you know, talks, talks about, uh, you know, herbal medicine versus regular medicine. You know, it's, it's, there's just no, you know, that's, while people have strong opinions about it, you know the. I think what's funny, what we would what we would really pound on in in millennial parents is how much space people waste talking about it, trying to search for validation and justification of the choice that they've made, rather than whether or not it's it's right. Now, obviously, there are some ways to make the family bed much safer, um, and and there are some ways to make it, you know, less safe. And I say that having uh, my wife is a pediatrician. Um, but but I'm no expert on on what those methods are, uh, and and just you know I I steer clear of trying to share an opinion on that. I waste most of my time, um, you know, being ticked off that that the dance music I had when I was in high school and college wasn't as cool as it is for the kids today. <laughs> well, we're gonna have to say goodbye on that one, and. Uh... I have about 30 seconds left, but uh, I, I really uh, encourage people to go and, and uh, watch the series, Millennial Parents, a web series about the new generation of domestication. It's really fun. It's very cool. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the next seasons. Um, thanks, so Jake Green, co-director, writer, and filmmaker of Millennial Parents, millennialparents.com. Thanks for being on the show this morning. Thanks so much for having me. Have a great week. Yeah, you too. We're going to have to say goodbye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Have a great week. We'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.